lately. I've done, obviously, I've been doing a lot more artwork. Since I, like, started guiding a ton, I haven't done a ton of tying as much as I used to, I should say. I've done, I've tied quite a bit. Just um, I, I usually tie stuff I can't get at a fly shop, such as, like, nymphs that I like to throw when, you know, a fish is being picky or something like that, or a golden stone fly nobody else has. Change it up just a little bit, the color. Um, I'll tie a few of those up every night um, at the guide shack. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. Welcome to this edition of Fly Fishing 97. My pleasure today, we have on the line Colton Schofield. Colton's a guide at Henry's Fork Anglers out of Last Chance, Idaho in the summertime. But in the wintertime, you can find him in Austin, Texas. Colton, thanks for coming on the program today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, we've been playing a little bit of telephone tag here and there and finally caught up to each other. And uh, just want to uh, find out a little bit about what you've been up to lately. Moved down to Austin, Texas, trying to figure out something to do in the winter in my off season rather than just kind of go back to the hometown. It was time to get out of Idaho for a little while. So Texas, it was for me. So you spend your winters down in Austin and the summers up in Idaho. This is my first winter in Austin, so it's been good so far, but I've spent six seasons in Idaho. So you got a few uh, angling, little uh, fly fishing opportunities down in Austin right now? Yeah, just I'm, it's been good. I mean, redfish and then carp and bass. Did a little trout fishing. It's just not the same as back home, so I haven't done too much of it. Right on. So it sounds like a nice place to spend the winter, though. No, yeah, definitely, definitely warmer than Island Park. I'll give you that. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about your guiding that you do out at uh, in Idaho at Henry's Fork Anglers. I, I assume you're fishing the snake quite a bit. Yeah. So out at Henry's Fork Anglers, I mean, we we can guide a ton of different bodies of water. Um, our main one is definitely the Henry's Fork of the snake. So a lot of it's kind of, you know, a lot of people want to come out and do the head hunting thing, kind of look for big fish, and that's what I love to do. So it's been pretty good to me. Um, we guide, you know, we guide the Teton, the South Pole, the Snake, um, Yellowstone National Park, and pretty much all of Montana. Uh, it's kind of hard for us to get over that way, kind of leave our water, but we do go that way sometimes. Colton, how did it all start for you? How did you get into guiding? Maybe tell us a little bit about that journey. Ooh, that... You know, I, I started kind of young in the industry, which was good for me. I started working for a fly shop out of Boise, Idaho, um, Boise Anglers, and commercially tied flies for them at the age of 14 until I graduated high school. Wow. And um, so I kind of, when I was probably supposed to be doing more homework and stuff like that, like my parents wanted me to, I uh, kind of was applying to fly shops and that over there on the Henry's Fork and happened to get a job with Henry's Fork Anglers and was pretty lucky for that. So I'm always amazed at how how people can know what they want to do at such a young age like that. Yeah, I got I got lucky. <laughs> I mean, I still you know I still know people that don't really know what they want to do, but um, I, I, I feel like I got lucky enough to know what I wanted to do, and it's been a good ride for me. I love it. So you're tying up a storm. I can just see you doing this. How, how old were you when you started tying? started tying at 10 so 
I got my first fly rod when I was eight and started tying, you know, nearly after that. Um, definitely kind of your millennial type thing. You know, I taught everything I know about like casting and tying is all off YouTube. So, yeah, well that's, isn't that a nice tool now? We've talked about that in the past on the program that, uh, you know, quite a few years ago that wasn't available and pretty much now today, any pattern you can think of, you can find a recipe for. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. It's, it's an amazing tool for, I mean, beginners to, Still people like me, you know, when I'm going to saltwater and don't know too much about a certain fish, it's still an amazing tool. So you started out in Boise, and then and then you, uh, when did you make the move to uh, Henry's Fork Anglers? So I, was, I made the move in 2013, which was the year I graduated high school. I'm, I moved two days after I walked for graduation. I was ready to go. Um, so I was 18, and... From there, I, I worked in the shop, did my time in the shop for a year, and then started guiding at 19. So it's been pretty good to me. So tell me a little bit about a typical day for you in Idaho uh, when you're guiding. Are these float trips? Are these walk and wade trips? What what kind of trips are you doing? Um, typically, I like to do float trips. Um, I do do walk and wade trips. It depends on where we want to go or what we're talking about doing. and depends, on, obviously, on the capability of the client. But... A lot of time, you know, you meet at the shop anywhere from 8 to 8.30, and then it depends on where you're going, obviously, but that's the average time we all meet. And then kind of get your flies set up, decide where you're going, and you hit the river until, well, until the client's either tired or fishing kind of over. So it's usually around 5 to 6. And, you know, a lot of clients, I I do have clients that will go forever, but, a lot of clients think they want to go till you know, 6, and then they realize it's like 4 o'clock and they're dead tired, you know? They're not used to being out there all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely have to build up your stamina, don't you? And I, th- I think there's an age thing comes to effect, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I find myself in June where I did have a client this year, like, make me get off the water. It was kind of funny. There was just fish rising, you know? We had rusty spinners everywhere, and I was just, I was into it. Like, I did not want to leave. And he looked down at his clock and he's like, Colton, it is 7.30 and I am dead tired. We need to leave. And I was like, fine. You know, that's why I had to push to the boat ramp, but it was like hard for me. You go ahead, have a nap in the front of the boat. I'll keep fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, half the time I want to do that. But then half the time, you know, it's kind of nice to save those fish for the next client. We've all had days like that and they don't come along too often. So I know when they do, it's, it's like prying somebody off the water, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. It's it's pretty it's pretty hard to get me off the water when they're eating like that, especially when they're you know twenty plus size fish. So, where did your passion for fly fishing come from? Just kind of just started at an early age, or like t- tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, it, it kind of it's I don't know. It kind of came from a little different. I grew up in a family that most of my uncles did like the bass tournaments, so you know they spin gear and all that, and then um, I just happened to my grandfather bought me a fly rod and it just kind of went from there. I kind of got addicted. And I think it was more, it wasn't more that I loved the fishing aspect at that time. It was like, it was kind of an escape from, you know, I didn't have to work, you know, it was that type of thing. Um, so at the time I didn't really think it was work. It was just fun. So now it's like, this is what I want to do. So I think it was more of an escape and now I get to live my escape from, you know, everything. It's pretty great. I think it's hard for some people to understand. It's not like 
you have to go fishing. It's not, it, you know what I mean? Like, it, like when you're really into it, it's not as though, well, I might go fishing in the next couple of weeks. It's like, if I don't go, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think, and I've taken, you know, beginners that you can tell that probably won't do it again. You know, it's not their thing, but then you take people that absolutely love it. And it's just, you know, it, it is kind of that adrenaline rush where you, it gets you and you really want to just keep going. And then, you know, it's also the thing that when at the end of the day, then you realize all of a sudden you're like, wow, I didn't think about work or I didn't think about bills that whole time. And I think that's what kind of drives people to want to do it more. It's, that's bang on, man. And I've had other guides tell me the same thing, and I know I feel that too. When you you're not thinking about anything, you're just concentrating on maybe putting on the right pattern, making a good cast of the right fish, and all of a sudden everything else is out the window. Yeah, there's too there's way too much to think about when you're fly fishing to have to think about other stuff. Yeah, if you're thinking about other stuff, you're fishing in the wrong place. Are you a pretty competitive guy? Uh. To an extent, depends on who I'm fishing with. <laughs> I can definitely be competitive with close friends or, you know, other guides. Um, but it's fun competitive. It's not, you know, I'm going to get mad at somebody for beating me. Right. Yeah. No, I hear you. Tell, tell me a little bit about who has been the biggest influence in your fly fishing. Ooh, that one's that one's a tough one. Um, you know, I was pretty, uh, I guess I, I was pretty lucky to grow up in Boise and, uh, my first real mentor and like who taught me a lot and I, I took that big learning curve was a guy named Eric Moncada. He uh he helped me a lot. He was a guy that worked at the fly shop um that I first started commercially tying for. And I I was nowhere near good enough to probably tie for that shop and I'm sure they threw like half of them away behind my back. But um you know, they they they, they kept in there with me and uh taught me a ton and you know, from there, kind of got the Henry's Ford job, and I've learned from so many people there. It's ridiculous how much knowledge goes around that place, and, you know, we have guides that have been there over 30-some years, so it's hard to say one person there. I mean, there's, like, four people that stand out in my mind that's helped me the most, and it's, you know, it's insane amount of knowledge through that, those four people that I'll, you know, can never thank enough and still get knowledge from them. When you're guiding somebody, do you ever find as much as you're teaching them and you're showing them your waters, kind of what to do, do you ever learn much from them? Yeah. I mean, I learn a ton. I mean, not, maybe not necessarily about fishing, but I mean, definitely about myself and about the world that I don't live in or don't, you know, open my eyes up to very often. So it's kind of cool to get other types of people in the boat, you know, that work in different industries and you hear about their businesses and, you know, and you, you think about, a ton of different stuff while you're in the boat with a ton of different people. Yeah. And just hearing how people grew up or, you know, they came from this background and, you know, I learned a lot about myself thinking, wow, I, that, that sounds like fun, but I don't think I can do that. This guy, you know, some, this guy or this woman that did that is amazing. And it's like, wow, you know, I feel like, you know, all I do is fly fish. They've done a lot (laughs) compared to what I've done or I feel like I've done, I guess. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty motivating thing too. I think just hearing people's stories it doesn't have to be fly fishing related. Just kind of where they come from, how they mm-hmm. get to where they are now, and I think that always fits in on the river, on the lake. Um, it's just good conversation. Yeah, I mean, it always comes out in some part of the day. You know, you have their lulls in the day. Everybody does, and it's kind of those things that, you know, when I first started, it was hard for me to talk to people, just like trying to learn how to start conversations. Now it's a little bit easier to you know, ask people different questions. And obviously there's always those people you're not going to connect with as well as others, but you know, that happens in everyday life. And it's, 
it's been pretty an amazing teaching process for me and for me to learn more about other people and how to talk to, you know, the public and being able to learn about other aspects than just fishing. That kind of widened my eye. I would imagine that plays a pretty big role in when you guys at Henry's Fork Anglers are kind of pairing up guides and clients. You probably kind of look for, hey, these guys might really hit it off. Yeah, there there is a lot of that. So the shop kids do a really good job. I mean, I used to be a shop kid, and, you know, our, most of our shop kids are anywhere from, you know, 17 to 22 years old. It just depends on where you want to, what you want to do, if you're going to guide or whatnot. But they, they do a pretty good job. Um, you know, people come in, they're like, Hey, like, I would love to throw streamers. They're like, sweet. We'll put you with Tyler trees. Like this guy is the bomb. He catches a ton of fish or, and by this point, you know, I've been guiding six years and you know, the, but that's like not much compared to what the rest of my guide shop has guided for. So it's like, you, you get a lot of return clients now. So there's, there's a lot of people out there that just come back and fish with you for the person you are, or for the person you, you know, showed them how to have fun, I guess it's always kind of a scary thing. You have a good day one year and the next year you got, you think about the day you had last year and you have to compete with that, you know? Yeah. I guess that's where I'm competitive. I'm competitive with myself from the year to year. You know, you think about the big fish you got last year and you're like, man, I have to put up against that again to try to get this guy back. I mean, it probably isn't that way. I'm sure they'd come back with me even if we didn't catch that size of fish, but that's the way I think about it. Do you keep a uh, diary, Colton, of uh, of your trips? Um, I don't. Not like a written diary. I have like a schedule, obviously, and social media does a good job for me of that. Mm. Um, you know, I post on Instagram almost daily, so that one, that one's a pretty good one for me to remember. I can look back on the picture and go, "Oh yeah, that was this day," and and usually I can remember what flies and what we used and whatnot. But it seems to change so much, and fly patterns seem to change so much, so. I don't really write down too much. Maybe I should. What's your handle on Instagram? Somebody wants to look you up. Uh, my handle is flyfishing underscore wanderer. Pretty nice trout you've been catching uh, there in Idaho. Yeah, it's been been a pretty good time. There's a lot of big fish and healthy, very healthy fish. I'm going to ask you kind of an odd question, but can you kind of describe in your mind a perfect day guiding for you on the snake or Teton, wherever you're fishing? Ooh. How does it look? Perfect day, oh, I mean, perfect day guiding. I mean, I meet my clients at 8, 8.15. Um, we already have, you know, a section of the, the fork picked out or Teton. just depends on the time of year. And my perfect day is you get on the water, you know, you have some decent uh, anglers with you that are going to have a good time either which way, but you have a chance that at least one or two fish on the dry. And then my favorite thing to do is sight nymphing, guiding sight nymphing is about the best thing in the world for me so if we get you know a couple decent sized fish i'm not i'm not too worried about the numbers for me so and i think most of my clients know that um i kind of like to find those bigger fish that fill the net and being able to sight nymph some of those fish on undercut bank or that are just sitting under a branch and you're coming up behind them that's that's my perfect day right there just sight nymphing and maybe a couple on the dry obviously if you can but that's not always the case sight nymphing seems to take the big ones home most of the time so um absolutely love that and i think if i was going to pick anything to fish every day and guide every day with and be sighting income and get off the river you know whenever the sun goes down or the clients are done and then pretty happy day right there you guys do a short lunch something like that halfway through or how does that look yeah i mean we we do a short lunch. i really just leave it up to the client um i'm pretty fast eater 
So for me, I'm pretty much done by the time they even get started. So um, they, uh, you know, it's, it can be however long the client wants. Usually it's a half hour to 45 minutes. They kind of take their time talking to, you know, we talk to each other and whatnot. But, and then I have some that it's just like single guys. We talk for two minutes, eat lunch, and then we're back at it. You know, it just, it just really depends yeah. on the person. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you're talking about sight nymphing. Um, what kind of lines are you, are you fishing a sinking tip? Are you fishing a floating line with a weighted nymph? How, how does that look? No, most of the time it's just a weighted nymph. I, I don't get like crazy technical, we, you know, floating line, nine to 12 foot leader. It just depends on where you're at. And then a lot of the time, those fish that I'm seeing that I'm sight nymphing are close to the banks and or like in front of rocks. And this goes for the Teton and the Henry's Horse. So a lot of the time it's, you know, you can kind of come up in front of them and you can post up on them or whatnot. And a lot of time I'll throw two nymphs, but one I can really, really see and the one that is probably the one they're going to eat. And that one just takes kind of, you know, time on the water to learn when they eat it. But the best client's the one that listens. So when you, when you post up on them, you know, and you see them, you explain what you're doing. And then, you you know, most people, you know, either say hit it or set. And I... I'm one of those guys that scream set, so you'll hear me across the river most of the time. And then uh, it's it's pretty much all. It's not that technical per se, but those fish can get spooky. And I think with the sight nipping thing, if you cap it above them and watch it, it, you get more chances at them. We're chatting today with Colton Schofield of Henry's Fork Anglers out of Last Chance, Idaho. How important, Colton, is the eye where you're wearing as far as, uh, you know, when, especially when you're sight nymphing, seeing those fish, and, and, and speak to the sunglasses on your face? I mean, it's very important. I I didn't have, like, the right type of sunglasses or the right lens or whatever. I don't, I know it wouldn't be, as you know, as good as I can make it. Um, I've definitely wore certain types of sunglasses, trying them out, and, you know, then I'll go back to my old pair because I couldn't see through the other ones or spot the ones. You know, I'm walking up on fish that are spooking out from under my feet, and then I'll put the ones that have kind of a darker amber lens on, um, kind of show those browns, and it's a lot easier to see with that type of lens. And it also, I mean, it also depends on your eye color. You don't want, I have dark blue eyes, so I don't want a very light lens because it'll burn my eyes, like it'll hurt. Um, so if you, kind of, you know, if you have a darker eye, you can use a lighter lens. But if you have a uh, like light blue eye or blue eyes or something like that, you kind of want a darker lens so it protects your eye more. Yeah, you're you're, you're speaking to the choir there. What brand of uh, glasses? I noticed that you're uh, you're doing some pro staff stuff and promoting some some eyewear. What are you using for brand out there? I use a uh, eyewear company that's called Cassette Eyewear. Um, they're out of Rexburg, Idaho. They're they're very well-made glass they're um very similar to smith on how they're built um so for me they work greatly they're really light i don't really like a heavy sunglass because when i put my hats on and stuff it presses on my ears my nose and um it it gives me a headache throughout the day so for to have a really light sunglass that works and it's clear and pretty durable um i've broken and mossed a ton of sunglasses but for some reason on this pair i haven't broken them yet which is amazing and more even amazing i haven't lost them yet so i'm actually just got a new pair in so we'll see how they work because it's salt water now being that you're spending so much time out on the water guiding how do you find uh i mean dealing with uv 
uh, especially in this day and age, can get get pretty tiring on a body. What are you wearing? You know, the, what what kind of shirts you wearing? How are you keeping the sun off your head, et cetera? Um, I wear just a, a tech a fishing like technical shirt, so it's kind of like a the brand I wear is Cast Gear. Um, they support me pretty good out here. Um, it's a hooded shirt, you know, they're solar flex. It works really nicely to, with that hood to keep it off my face, off my neck. Um, it, and it's really light. So if it does get hot, you know, I, it dries quick and I, I don't ever get overheated down in Idaho. You know, we don't, we never get too horribly hot up, um, in Island Park, but it does, it does get heated some days and, I absolutely love those shirts. Yeah, yeah, but they're comfortable. I, I, I wear those types of shirts all the time, and they're, they're good for everyday wear. And they dry so fast, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went from wearing the, you know, what everybody used to wear in the button-up shirt, you know, and the collar, and you kind of go out and fish. But I think with those technical shirts, you know, they that so much more motion of, and, you know, safety is, amazing you know you don't have it coming through that shirt as much as you do on the buttons and whatnot you have that hood which is awesome so i love those i love them there's there's, i don't think there's anything better out there right now you know you never know what can come down the line next but maybe you can talk a little bit gear for us like uh, what kind of rods you using what length rods uh brands uh etc um maybe dallas in on that a bit yeah gear um rod and reel wise i use loop one reason i really love loop uh, rods wise, I break a lot of rods. You know, you have, you have clients use your rods, you have, you know, you put them in and out of your car all the time. So they get nicked and damaged all the time. And so, you know, and clients break them. So it's a very quick process to, for me to, uh, replace those sections. I just tell them what section broke and they send me a brand new section, you know, next day or the day after. And it's, it's a pretty easy process. I don't have to go fighting and waiting for, you know, a couple months for my rod to get back to me when it's prime season. What's your ideal length rod on the, like if you're fishing the snake? Ooh, out of a boat, I like my, uh, I like my 10 foot six out of my boat. It's just easier to poke the bank with those big drives, especially if we're throwing salmon flies and golden stones. It, you can tuck it in there tight and a little easier to hit those uh, banks of, you know, 30 to 40 feet away and you can pick it up and cast it in there with one fail swoop. So it's pretty Pretty nice and smooth rod action on that crosshatch one that allows me to do that. Well, you know what, and and if the wind kicks up at all, a, a six weight ten footer is ideal, isn't it? Absolutely. I don't. Uh, you know, I don't remember the last time I fished with anything less than a six weight, except maybe on the ranch in the summer. Very rarely do I fish a four weight. I just love that six weight. It has backbone, and I'm just used to it, so it's kind of the one I go with. Hmm. What which kind of loop are you using? Uh, I use what's called a cross S one. Um, it's a fast action rod. Um, you can put, you can overweight. So I overweight my rods with the fly line. So if I have a six weight, I go a seven weight line. So I get more action out of that heavier weighted rod. Um, mm-hmm. Easier to get really tight loops and stuff like that for me. Um, everybody has their casting style, so I don't really tell anybody what they should buy, but. Yeah, exactly. No, no, for sure. You you do what works for you, but I, I hear you. I always go one line heavier. And you know what? I bet for nymphing, mm-hmm. that's a good thing, too. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, Reel-wise, I use I use loop reels, too. They're amazing. Best. I mean, not that you need drag horribly much for trout, but I am kind of a gearhead, so I love the look of it. And, uh, yeah, they're, I mean, they are a little spindly, but I do love the drag. You know, it's really smooth. 
Uh, I'm not a big on sound. You know, I don't really like the reels that clip too much. So these are absolutely silent. They don't make any sound when you're fishing with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a key for me. Right on. So tell me uh, if you've got any crazy fish stories. They don't always come to mind quickly, but if you're thinking of the past few years guiding or, or just doing some personal fishing, Ooh. have anything weird happen to you out there? Crazy fish. Well, I mean, I've had um, on the Teton one day, me and uh, another guide, I won't I won't say his name, but he we went out with some clients and happened to be running a rapid, and he kind of had a just a heavier set guy in his boat and he happened to hit a rock in the rapid and it sunk. We, he sunk his boat right in that rapid. So we had about two, two and a half hours of work trying to get that boat off the bottom of the river. We did save the boat. He only had one crack in the inside. So we were able to finish out the day. Um, no one got hurt. And I think it was only like one raw moth. That was incredible, but um, it was pretty intense. I had never seen a boat think and i know everybody says it's not if it's when so it was win for that guy but um it was definitely interesting to watch uh, a lot of work and glad we were able to keep the clients you know calm and they weren't too bad afterwards either usually after something like that happens it's kind of a rough day out there but it, they were cool with it and you know it was very uh very intimidating after that going back and looking at that thing going hmm a guy that's guided forever you know sunk his boat now and i go through that thing every day so it was kind of it's kind of interesting to see how the heck do you get a drift boat off the bottom of the river i i wouldn't even know where to start <laughs> we uh we got real lucky so where he sunk it you don't usually float through i guess um there's like rapids below it but he decided he'd run it that day and uh where he sunk it right at the bottom of the uh where he hit that rock through that rapid is a uh kind of a suck hole it's not like a dangerous one it just kind of eddies out and so his boat just kind of got stuck in that eddy on the bottom and we were able to uh kind of dive down and get the anchor rope and we set up to where each of us were kind of stable in the water and we just started pulling on that anchor rope and able to get that the butt end of the boat kind of towards the sky a little bit and then he's he's a lot bigger than me i'm a small guy so when we started going he got on the back end of that boat and was able to flip it right side up. They, I mean, we got in the right current and was able to pull it down to shallow water where it beached itself. And then we kind of emptied it out with pumps, shovels and or, uh, buckets and a paddle. I was using a paddle to try to throw some water out, but it was definitely not the easiest thing I've ever done. Uh, you know what though? That's when you really do some learning, right? When, when, when something like that happens. Oh man, on the spot. Yeah, exactly. Like, like for me, if, if, if that's never happened, you probably haven't been on the water a whole heck of a lot, right? No, no. You know, I, I you hear you hear people sink their boats all the time. I just had never been witness, and I've almost sunk my boat a couple times, and, I'm, you know, thank goodness I haven't, but it's kind of crazy to witness and help out trying to get one out. Um, you know, now that I've seen it, like I'm trying to, obviously you're trying to stay away from something you definitely don't want to do, but it's going to happen at some point with all the stuff I like to do, you know, some of those diversions and whatnot. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> I got to do a bit of a 180 on you, Colton, because you mentioned to me before we started chatting here uh, on on the program uh, that you do quite a bit of artwork. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious about that. It sounds like something you're pretty passionate about. Yeah, so I do a lot of, um, well, a lot more this year I have in past years. Um, artwork, 
I do dry pastel, pen, kind of charcoal, uh, mixed media type of stuff. That's just kind of whatever I'm feeling that day. I do some custom artwork, um, but I don't necessarily love doing that. Usually I just, if I'm doing a custom, I just ask like what kind of fish and then I take a picture and kind of draw it. For me, it's, it's more about just how I like to spend my winters. You know, I, I guide over a hundred days in the summer. So being able to sit down and draw and kind of uh, relax for a little bit is kind of nice. And that artwork is a good way to do that. And then I sell it obviously. So it's a good way to spend the winter and have some income still coming in. So if uh, somebody wanted to check out some of your artwork, is it, I assume some of it's on your Instagram. Uh... Yeah. So just check out my Instagram and if they want to see any more, they can absolutely DM me and stuff. I'm always posting new stuff, especially in the winter. So we'll see what comes of that. Yeah. So that's, that's fly fishing underscore wanderer. Yes, sir. About fly tying. Cause you just kind of hit on the creative aspect of it. Um, how much time do you do in the winter? Very very few um, hours in the winter lately. I've done, obviously I've been doing a lot more artwork since I like started guiding a ton. I haven't done a ton of tying as much as I used to. I should say I've done, I've tied quite a bit. Just um, I, I usually tie stuff. I can't get at a fly shop. Right. Such as like nymphs. I like to throw when, you know, a fish is being picky or something like that, or a golden stone fly. Nobody else has change it up just a little bit. The color um, I'll tie a few of those up every night um, at the guide shack. So or the place I live at in Island Park, we call it the guide shack. There's like six of us that live there. So it's a pretty interesting little summer deal. I would imagine there's a little bit of fur and feathers and maybe a few cold beer going around that place. <laughs> yeah, you, you could say that. There's um, a lot of a lot of fur, feather, and um, definitely a lot of beer going around there. We have a I think we have, it's a three-bedroom place with five people in it, so two people live in the loft. So it's always a, quite the adventure living in there and always something going on. So when when you're tying that device, uh, say, uh, in the shack before you head out in, in the morning, what kind of uh, vice are you tying on? I tie on a Renzetti. So I just like, and it has a platform, so I don't, I don't really like the ones that hook to the table. Um, I like to have that platform under me, so if I do drop anything, most of the time, they'll drop on the table. But that's a darn good point. I got a Renzetti too, but I I don't have it on a platform. I I think I got to test drive that. Yeah, I I love it on the platform. It's I I've tied on the obviously on the table and whatnot, but I just like being over um, the table most of the time. I like getting really close to anything I do. So even on artwork, if there are some videos out there of me doing. You can tell I get like within inches of the paper. So I'm the same way on a fly. I'm like I'm. I'm always right there, so being able to be over the table is a lot better for me. You use any uh, like cheater glasses just to get a bit better look, like some magnifiers or of any type? Ooh, I don't. I know I've talked to some older guys that still tie and stuff, and they say I probably should. That way, I don't ruin my eyes. Uh, I'm stubborn right now, so I haven't went out and spent the money on anything like that. But um, I'll probably learn my lesson sooner than later. That's cool. So you, you're going to head out fishing today in Austin, or what's the, what's the game plan? Yeah, so I'm going to head out probably tonight and do a little uh, kind of a run through some of these little creeks around here that have carp and bass. That's kind of what I grew up doing. I didn't have any um, really close trout rivers where I lived. Um, I lived just outside of Boise. So um, for me, it was like bass ponds and carp ponds and whatnot. So that's kind of getting back to my roots down here. So it's kind of fun to go out and catch some of those big carp and 
they definitely have bigger bass down here, so that's new, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Those carp just take off, don't they? Oh man, yeah. I went and caught redfish, and you know, come back to carp, and it really doesn't feel much different. I'll be honest with you, other than the chase, and you know, most sometimes the type of flies you're using, but they're they're pretty equal in the fight. It's pretty amazing. What are you gonna throw at those carp today? What what type of fly? I, I have a hard time catching them on a fly. I got to be honest. I mean, I caught a lot of carp, but uh, flies not my not the easiest in, in my book. No, I mean, it just depends on what they're doing. I, sometimes you can find a, a carp that's digging in the mud, and a lot of the a lot of times on those, I'll throw like a little crawfish pattern, I guess, and or crayfish and let it sink and then barely twitch it and a lot of that, it's really hard to notice when they eat it um but it's, it's very little tick or something like that and then if you do have carp that are cruising um you can use like little egg patterns or something just a ball of something because they're, they're just picking off grass or it depends on what you're what kind of carp you're fishing for yeah. but you can throw like little um grass ball tied flies and just throw kind of in front of them if they're not too spooky um, grass carp are probably one of the hardest things I've ever tried to catch. They're just, you know, they're smart and they come up and I, I've only caught, you know, three or four, but they're huge when you do get them. I was talking to uh, a guy at a while back about fishing for carp and he, he called them social spookers. <laughs> I thought that was pretty accurate. Uh, yeah, they, you know, they, they're, I think they're almost just as or harder than trout, um, for me. I don't know. I mean, maybe some people have better luck than I do or just better at it in general, which definitely, definitely could be the case. But for me, it's, they're definitely a lot harder for me to catch than trout. Yeah. Um, I swear they spook easier and they don't really come back to that location. They're gone when they're gone. Yeah. No, you're here. That's very true. I spent a lot of time watching them on the, on a couple <laughs> of lakes we have nearby here. And if they see you, they're gone. Yeah, they're they're gone fast too. They don't they don't they don't make a slow getaway most of the time. So hey man, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I don't want to keep you from uh from the water. Sounds like you got a good trip planned ahead today. But uh Colton, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. That's Colton Schofield. Colton's a guide at uh, Henry's Fork Anglers out of Last Chance, Idaho, uh, down in Austin right now. Going to chase some some carp, some some other fish today. I appreciate it. And uh, any other handles you want to get out there, uh, just your Instagram one more time is? Fly fishing underscore wander. That's the only one that I've brought off of for fly fishing, so that, that one will do just fine. If somebody wants to hook up with you, maybe on a guided trip, they just get a hold of uh, Henry's Fork Anglers, or how, what's the best way? Yeah, they can uh, they can call Henry's Fork Anglers directly, or they can either. I think my phone number's on my Instagram. If you press call, or you can email me or just DM me, direct message me over Instagram. Absolutely, I have that happen all the time. So um, that's one reason I do have that. All right, man. Tight lines. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.